So we think about being the body of Christ as we share and interact with one another. We go out in our daily lives to be sought and light to the world in which we live. And on the front of the bulletin, the first or second week of each month, we list places of work and schools with a reminder that in our daily lives, we're to be verbalizing, we're to be living in a way that is pleasing to God. We live in a world of thirsty people and seeking to buy up on that thirst and point them to Christ. Invite others to worship with us, but also verbally seeking to point them to Christ. As we think about being the body and think about passion, I have a question. Can anyone here tell me what one of Ray Cease's passions may be? One of Ray Cease's passions. Killing. What was that? Go ahead, Jerry. Killing. Killing. <laughs> and that ties in with animals, right? Okay. What do you think one of Joe Martin's passions may be? Building. Building. What do you think one of Anita Zimmerman's passions may be? Singing. Singing. As a local body of believers, there are several items for which we desire to display passion in 2017. Last Sunday, we discussed God's glory. And that's one of the things we want to be passionate about in 2017. God's glory as we live on the job, as we go to school, as we live with our families. But also we want to have a passion for thankfulness for God's work among believers. Being thankful for how God works among believers. Thankful for saints. We're going to consider one of Paul's letters this morning to a local church. We could consider a number of letters, but we'll look at one. And in all of Paul's epistles, but one that are addressed to churches, he begins with thanking God for them and God's work among them. And this thankfulness is in spite of every church that he thanks God for having issues and problems and struggles that they need to address. But he's thankful. We want to think about that this morning. And the letter we'll be looking at is in 1 Corinthians. Paul went on his various missionary journeys. And we know that he ministered in various places. And Corinth is one of the places in which he ministered. And again, you will find over and over, Paul is thankful, but he's thankful for the church in Corinth. Corinth had access to two seas. It was a city that was strategic in terms of commercial importance and military defense. The games that Paul speaks of in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 were held near the city of Corinth. Corinth had a love of philosophy and of speculation. Outside the city on a high hill stood the temple of Aphrodite with its many hundreds of temple women who doubled as entertainments for the nightlife in Corinth. Corinth was a very immoral city. To live like a Corinthian meant that you lived a very loose we might say, immoral lifestyle. The book of 1 Corinthians was written 
some years after Paul's ministry in Corinth. Paul would have ministered in Corinth probably A.D. 50, in the fall of A.D. 50, according to Acts 18. Acts 18 doesn't give the date, but as you trace some things. He ministered in Corinth for 18 months. He left and he went to Caesarea. He visited the churches in Jerusalem. And then he went to his home church in Antioch of Syria. On his third missionary journey, he visited churches in Galatia and Ferga. Then he came to Ephesus and he spent three years in Ephesus. And it's while he was in Ephesus that apparently some people came from Corinth. They shared with Paul some of the things that were taking place taking place in Corinth, and Paul writes a letter to them. Apparently, he wrote a letter before what we have as 1 Corinthians, but we don't have that letter. But then he wrote 1 Corinthians, probably in the spring of A.D. 55. So the church at Corinth is probably about five years old in terms of coming to faith in Christ and walking with him. So with those thoughts in mind, let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1. Through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 1 through 9. Paul called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sothesis to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be holy, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. Because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Paul writes, along with his brother, Sothesis, and he says in verse 2, to the church of God in Corinth. And how he terms things is interesting, to the church of God. It's not Paul's church, even though he was instrumental in beginning the church. It's not someone else's church. It's ultimately God's church, and it's in Corinth, a specific location. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, the word sanctified means to set apart. They're set apart, and the tense implies that the setting apart took place at a point in time with it continuing to be true. They were set apart at a point in time when they came to faith in Christ, and it remains true. And the tense also implies that the Corinthians did not do it. They were passive. It was done to them. They came to faith in Christ. They were sanctified, they were set apart, and that ultimately through Christ's work. To the sanctified 
in Christ Jesus. It's not about them. It's about Christ. Their sanctification is in Christ. Again, took place at a point in time. You were born at a point in time, and you remain a son or daughter. The Corinthians sanctified at a point in time and remain in a state of sanctification. He says also called to be holy. It depends on the translation you have. The term saints might be used. It's used over 60 times in Paul's letters. He says about the Corinthians, they're called to be holy. They're saints. Now he's writing to people who are struggling with issues in life, but he calls them saints. When did they become saints? When they were sanctified. But it's not limited to the believers in Corinth. Together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. The Corinthians are sanctified, called to be saints. But so are other people in Ephesus, in Galatia, in Colossae that would have come to faith in Christ. What is Paul's desire for them? Grace and peace to you from God our Father. That again is common in Paul's letters. In most of his letters he says grace and peace. Grace, unearned favor to you. Peace, wholeness, from whom? God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So did we use that greeting today? Did you say to anyone this morning, grace and peace to you? It's not one that probably is real common to us, but maybe one that one hurt to use. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, what the Corinthians had came from God, from Christ. Paul says in verse 4, I always thank God for you. I always thank God for you. Now, as we think about the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's not limited to 1 Corinthians, Paul later on will discuss exhortations. But before he gives them their exhortation, He explains who they are. They're sanctified. They're called to be saints. And he's thankful for them. The position comes before the practice. You are before you do. You're called. You're sanctified. You're saints. I'm thankful for you. So the person who is having money beyond their basic needs, which includes, I think, all of us, you are being asked to give to someone that has a need. You do. So Paul says you are before he goes into the you do. And part of you are, he says, I thank God for you. Thankful for the Corinthians. Why? Because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. Paul was thankful for the grace that was given to the Corinthians in Christ. And the idea of given, again, is action that took place at a point in time 
with continuing results. Paul ministered in Corinth. The Corinthians came to Christ. Grace was given at a point in time when they came to Christ with continuing results. I'm thankful for that grace that was given to you. But notice it's grace in Christ Jesus. Christ became poor so that the Corinthians might become rich, as he mentions in 2 Corinthians. Grace, they're sanctified, they're saints, they're adopted, they're redeemed, they're forgiven, they're reconciled to God. That's grace that was given. But it's in Christ Jesus. And when you think about grace, think about the fact that grace cannot exist with guilt. If we've experienced grace, no guilt, because it's been taken care of. Grace cannot exist with human obligation, because grace is freely given in Christ. I thank God because of the grace given you in Christ Jesus. Then he says, For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. He's thankful again. Why? You've been enriched in every way. The enrichment involves speaking and knowledge. Apparently, they would speak about Christ in their daily lives. As they spoke, knowledge came out in that there was change apparently taking place. They spoke with knowledge. Because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Paul would have ministered in Corinth. The Corinthians came to Christ. The testimony that Paul would have shared was concerning Christ, his death, his burial and resurrection. As he states in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And that testimony being evident in the life of the Corinthians. And he is thankful for that. And again, it's being tied to Christ. Our testimony about you was confirmed in you. The witness that we had, the proclamation that we made about Christ was established. It was rendered constant and unwavering. It was established with proof. Now he's writing this to the Corinthians as we will see in a few minutes. They had some issues. But our testimony about God was confirmed in you. There was evidence in the life of the Corinthians that they were genuine, that Christ had worked. It's like a lady getting stopped by a police officer, and the police officer says, uh, are you driving legally? And she says, yes. And he says, can you prove it? And she gives her, his, or her driver's license to him. That's a proof. Corinthians 
Are you in Christ? Paul says, yes, you're in Christ. It's confirmed that you're in Christ by your life. Our testimony was confirmed. It's evident. It's established. It's rendered constant in your lives. He goes on in verse 7. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift. Because this testimony was confirmed, they didn't lack any spiritual gift. And I'm inclined to think as I study the text, he's not talking so much about what we call spiritual gifts, whether it be giving, whether it be teaching, and so on. It seems to be more just grace that was at work in their life. Their position as saints, their position of being sanctified was evident in their life. Grace was changing their life. There was a transformation. They didn't desire the night parties anymore. They didn't desire the sexual immorality anymore. A change was taking place. This interesting goes on as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus to be revealed. Eagerly wait. You ever see anyone waiting for a bus? They're just standing there waiting. That's in contrast to the Corinthians. They weren't just standing there waiting for Christ to be revealed. He says, you eagerly await. They were living in sensitivity to God as they were waiting for Christ to be revealed. In verse 8, he God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will keep you strong. You will be blameless. No record of sin on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, notice he brings up over and over again Jesus Jesus Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, it depends on him. God, in verse 9, who has called you into his fellowship, or into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. The focus of Paul is thankfulness for the believers in Corinth. And in thanking The Corinthians, his focus comes back to God and to Christ and their work in them. Imagine Noah talking to his great-grandchildren. And he lived 350 years beyond the flood. And one of his great-grandchildren come up to Noah and Noah puts him up in his lap and the grandchild says, Noah, What was it like to build an ark? What was it like to have the smarts to build the ark, to call the animals together and go through a great flood and be delivered? And Noah says, listen, grandson, you got things out of order here. I didn't design the ark. God called me to build the ark. The focus goes to him. The credit goes to him. I didn't get the animals to come to the ark. God brought the animals to the ark. The focus is on him. I didn't have anything to do with the flood. I was merely an instrument in God's hand to build a boat. And my wife and 
Sons and their wives were saved as a result. Grandson, the focus is on God. I think Paul is thankful for the believers in Corinth, but he says the focus has got to be on God. It's got to be on Christ because God sanctified, God called, God made you saints, and that is through Christ. Now, who's Paul writing this to? He's writing to the Corinthians. And please keep in mind, the Corinthians had some problems. In chapter 1, verses 10 through 421, they were a divided church. Some followed Paul, some followed Peter, some Apollos, and others said, well, we follow Christ. Saints, sanctified, going to be presented blameless, but divided. They were tolerating, at least at this point in time, sexual immorality. Chapter 5, and many scholars think that there was a man in the church who was involved sexually with his stepmother. And the church was glad that they could tolerate that. But Paul says, you're sanctified, you're saints. And I'm thankful that God is at work in you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 1 through 11, apparently they were taking each other to court. So who's going to court tomorrow? Betty is taking Travila. They have that tomorrow. On Tuesday, jury's going against... Arden. They had issues with food sacrifice to idols, questionable activity or items, and apparently hurting one another in the process. But yet he says, saints, sanctified. God's faithful. He's going to present you blameless. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34, we find that there was abuse of the Lord's Supper, and their abuse of the Lord's Supper was so serious that some of them died. God disciplining, and some were sick. And Paul says that happened because you abused the Lord's Supper. Chapters 12 through 14, apparently, there was some abuse of spiritual gifts. And Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way, love. Now ponder that list of what we would call sins. Six of them. And Paul says, I always thank God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, in all your speaking and in all your knowledge, because of our testimony about Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift, as you eagerly wait for Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Paul is thankful for a body of believers in Corinth that had issues. But yet, thankful for them. You will find that Paul was thankful for the Romans, thankful for the saints in Ephesus, the saints in Philippi, the saints in Colossae, the saints in Thessalonica. And with each of them, after he gives thanks, he says, there's some things you need to address. So let's make some observations, like the first Corinthians, as well as the other books which I already studied, but won't discuss. Paul was thankful to God 
for his work in saints and the responsiveness of the saints. He shared that with those to whom he was writing. He didn't keep it to himself. Corinthians, I'm thankful for you. Romans, I'm thankful for you. Paul was thankful for the unseen enduring qualities that came about. Their responsiveness. He was thankful that they were sanctified. He was thankful that they were holy. They were saints. He's thankful for their faith. In another book, he's thankful for their hope. Thankful for their love. Thankful for their perseverance. And thankful for grace. I'm thankful. You have issues, yes, but I'm thankful for you. Paul is thankful for local churches as a unit, not individuals. Interesting. We are members of local bodies, not islands. I'm thankful for the church in Colossae. Here's why. I'm thankful for the churches in Galatia. Here's why. He didn't point out individuals, but he's speaking of the body at large. Paul is thankful for God's work in imperfect local churches. They had corporate struggles and sins. There was no need to achieve a certain level of transformation before being thankful. Just the evidence of God working. Do you struggle with Paul being thankful for a group of people that tolerated immorality, who were divided, who were taking each other to court? He's thankful for God's grace at work in their life. Thankfulness for people didn't stop there. It moved into encouragement, to our exhortation to rebuke. He didn't just say, I'm thankful. He confronted their sins. He encouraged them. Thankful or thanksgiving to God for people. And thanks for saints is intimately related to prayer. He thanks God for a local church and then he tells them. And his thanksgiving involves prayer. Paul's prayer, or prayers are for continued inner unseen, or inner unseen working by God in believers. He wasn't content for the Corinthians to be where they were. He prays for them. He desires for God to work. He rebukes. He corrects. Thankfulness for God's work in saints and prayer for them is intimately related like the blood and the heart in the physical body. Thankful for them. He prayed for them. And then he goes on to rebuke, correct, and exhort. Let's think about some applications. Thankfulness for God, or to God, for his work in saints and the responsiveness in obedience with, or in obedience is shared with them is godly. Just praising God for people and letting them know you're praising God for them is godly. 
You say, but they have a lot of struggles. But is God's grace evident? Be thankful. And let them know. The flip side, indifference, bitterness, putting up with saints seems to be ungodly. Paul didn't say, well, Corinthians, you've got some issues here. You're abusing the Lord's Supper. You're taking each other to court. I'll put up with you. He's thankful for them and God's grace being evident in their life. Exhorting, rebuking, correcting moves saints to God working in them. Thus, more reason to be thankful to God for them. Recently, I was talking to a guy. Sometimes I get frustrated at him and child of God. And sometimes I think, is there any hope for him? But recently I was talking to him. No one here, by the way, so don't try to figure out who I'm referring to. And as we talked, and he has some issues in his life. And I came away from our interaction saying, God, thank you for working in this guy's life. God's been working, not necessarily as much as I might want, but God's been working from what he shared with me. So I probably need to drop a note to the guy and call him and say, I'm thanking God for God working in your life. But as I shared some rebuke when I interacted with him, I'm trusting that God's going to continue to work so I can thank God more. Because before I'd rebuked this guy, offered some correction, God worked, he responded, thank God for it, share some more, and trust God to work and more to be thankful for. Let saints know you're thankful to God for them. Inform them. Don't keep it to yourself. As you share, communicate how you see God working and how they are responding. As you see other saints, thank God for them and share with them. Well, they got issues. The Corinthians did. The Romans did. The Ephesians did. The Colossians did. The Thessalonians did. But yet Paul was thankful for God's work. In their life. Pray for saints in light of where they are in walking with God. Let's look for God's work in saints rather than merely seeing their faults and struggles and weaknesses and sins. Let's share encouragement. Exhortation and rebuke. What impact will sharing with our church, your mate, your parents, we could put your children, a fellow saint, how you see God working in their life and their responsiveness, what impact will it have on them? Paul writes to a church in Corinth and he says, I'm thankful to God for you. Before he gets to any of their sins and any of their struggles and any of their weaknesses, he says, I thank God for you. 
He saw evidence of God's grace. Their faith was confirmed. The testimony Paul shared was confirmed in them. It was evident in their life. Issues to deal with, yes. But Paul says, I'm thankful to God for you. So the three questions that you saw during the offering. How do you see God working in our church? How do you see God working in a marriage or a family in our body? How do you see God working in an individual in our body? How we view people makes a big difference in how we respond to them. We're going to pray together, then we're going to sing together, then we'll give you opportunity to respond briefly to those questions that are in the PowerPoint at this time. Let's pray together. Father, we praise you for love which you gave in Christ. We know John 3.16 talks about you loving the world that you gave your only begotten son. First John, John says, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and signed his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We praise you for that, Father. We praise you for the attitude of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Father, we praise you for what we have in Christ, that we are sanctified, we're saints, we're redeemed, we're reconciled, plus so many other items. We praise you for working in our church in that we care for one another in trials and sickness and in death and financial struggles and other struggles in life. We praise you for working in encouragement that is given verbally and with written words and hugs and so on. We praise you for working in our church and that we support missionaries not only financially but with prayer and notes of encouragement, and so on. We're so thankful, Father, for your work in us through Christ, in spite of our struggles. We confess, Father, that at times we're inconsistent in corporate worship. Other things are put ahead of it. We confess that at times we don't guard our minds. We take in much that would not edify We confess that at times we lack hospitality, opening our homes and our lives to others. But we're thankful that you continue to work in our lives. Father, I pray for those that are going through trials this morning. Think of Eunice Pearson having surgery on Tuesday. Josephine Bunny probably not having many days to live. 
those who are facing relational struggles on the job, financial struggles, and so on. In the midst of those struggles, Father, may there be a spirit of wisdom so that they might know you. They might experience you. Enlighten the eyes of their heart that they may know, they may know the hope to which you have been called, the riches of your inheritance in the saints. They might grasp the power that raised Christ from the dead that is at work in them as they seek to renew their mind, have an attitude of joy and difficulties and so on. From our limited perspective, those that face physical trials, we would desire that there be surgery for Eunice or others that face trials, there might be strengthening. We pray to that end, but yet surrender it to you, Father. As we do each week, Father, pray for the individuals listed in our prayer guide. Ken, Debbie, Jocelyn, Caleb, Kapurser. I pray, Father, that in light of trials they have been through over the years, they might be drawn to Christ, understand your love and your grace, understand all that Christ has done. Come into a relationship with you and understand your grace more fully. And their marriage, as Ken would seek to lead and Debbie would seek to follow, may they have wisdom and understanding in parenting the children that they have, I guess I should say, gender grandchildren and some foster children that they may have an understanding heart to nurture and challenge those children to love you. In the physical trials that they face, may there be encouragement, Father, from you. Pray for Burl and Shirley that they might come to know you and experience you more fully. That as the age they might experience grace from you, grow in understanding the height, the width, the depth, and the breadth of your love and then just sharing Christ with others. May they grasp your power in the aging process to focus on the eternal and not in the present. May Burrow love and lead as Christ loves and leads the church and surely follow and complement as the church responds to Christ. May they have wisdom in parenting adult children and their families to love you, to walk with you. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of prayer. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.